Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Volume. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers who deposit $5 or more can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 back in a bonus bet. I was looking at NBA futures this morning. The Golden State Warriors are plus 5,500 right now on DraftKings to win the title. So if you believe in them, that's a big number. And Denver, I have Denver as my championship favorite. And they're still the second best odds on DraftKings right now at plus 450. So lots of good NBA bets to look at over the course of the end of the season. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. New customers can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 if your first bet loses. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no sweat bet per new customer issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash promos for deposit, wagering, and eligibility restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. All right, welcome to Hoops tonight here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday again, everybody. For those of you guys who weren't here earlier today, we did a, uh, a breakdown of King's Sons as well as a, as well as a mailbag. In tonight's show, we're going to do an old-fashioned episode of Hoops tonight. We're going to be breaking down a bunch of games from around the league. Clippers-Warriors. Warriors looked like they had that one in the bag and then a crazy offensive run in the second half from the Clippers. 
uh, comes back from behind to, to steal that one in Golden State. We're going to talk Heat Sixers and a little bit about Miami's leaning into zone defense this season. And then after that, Lakers Jazz. Lakers finish off the stretch before the All-Star break with a uh, a big couple of wins and a back-to-back going into Utah. Utah's a tough team to beat at home without LeBron James. They go in there and get a big win. The offense looks great again. We're going to talk a little bit of the early returns from the Spencer Dinwiddie buyout signing and how that has panned out. And then lastly tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about the report that came out this morning that the Warriors tried to pair LeBron James with Steph Curry on the Warriors in the middle of this trade deadline cycle, I guess in the final 20 hours before the deadline. So we're going to talk a little bit about that at the end of the show. Unlike what we did last time, instead of doing a mailbag at the end of the show, I really... Really want to dive into a game I did not get to see tonight, which was Kings Nuggets, as the Kings got another win over Denver, their second in a row. And I, I just kind of want to uh, dive into that film at some point before the before we go off for the uh, the All Star break. So tomorrow morning, I'm going to do just a breakdown of Kings Nuggets, and then I'm going to do the mailbag at the tail end of that show before we do the Nerd Sesh guys on Friday. So drop mailbag questions in the YouTube comments of this video, and we will hit them at the tail end of tomorrow morning's show. You guys know the drill before we get started, subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. It would mean a lot to me if you guys would take a second to scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts under Oops tonight. It's also really helpful for us if you leave a rating and a review on that front. Don't forget about my, about my Twitter feed at underscore Jason LT so you guys don't miss show announcements as well as film threads. And then last but not least, like I mentioned earlier, keep dropping mailbag questions in the YouTube comments. All right, let's talk some basketball. So huge win for the Clippers. I mean, this was a tough game against a red-hot Warriors team in Golden State. Kawhi Leonard out. And, you know, one of the big things that stood out to me is it reminded me a lot of what happened especially that offensive run that they went on there down the stretch where they were just consistently generating these good looks for good three-point shooters in the corner. It reminded me of the stretch that the Clippers went on in 2021 after Kawhi Leonard went down when Paul George and Reggie Jackson kind of led a similar type of run where they were just able to consistently either beat their man off the dribble and get all the way to the basket or draw in that help defender and make the, the kickout passes that would lead to the driving kick basketball that would lead to a wide open opportunity for a high level spot up player. And like, this is where I want to talk about the upside of building a system versus relying solely on talent. And this is where we got to give some credit to Ty Lu. You know, when we talk about the best co- uh, coaches in the league, we typically talk about Eric Spolstra. We typically talk about Steve Kerr. But to me, Ty Lu is pretty close to those guys. And one of the things that I've consistently talked about with Ty Lu in his time in the NBA is, I think he has some of the best spacing principles in the league. He knows the best way to put his stars in a position where they can play easy basketball, where they're either on an island having an opportunity to take advantage of their great gifts or the same types of kickout opportunities are there throughout the season. Everything is so well established that it almost becomes second nature to these guys. And again, like that's what happens. You, you lose Kawhi Leonard in the middle of a playoff series against the Jazz and Paul George and Reggie Jackson are able to lead them through anyway. And then they even got within two wins of the NBA Finals. And what did they lose a close game on? A, didn't they lose a close game on like a DeAndre Ayton lob at one point in that in that series? Like that series was really close. They were that close to being a team that made it to the NBA Finals without 
Kawhi Leonard. And that, that to me, it's a, it's a credit to Ty Lue. This is a team that has a, a certain brand of basketball that they play night in and night out, regardless of who is in the lineup. This is one of the upsides, by the way, of having a, a plethora of shot creation. One of the upsides of bringing a James Harden into the equation. If everything is slotted differently, like for instance, not a lot of Russ on the ball at the end of the game. He did have a big offensive rebound crashing along the baseline. And he had a big driving kick, uh, driving kick play where he hit Amir Coffee in the right corner for a three. So like he had a couple of possessions where he impacted winning down the stretch, but like he didn't have to do a ton with the ball in his hands. If James Harden is not in the equation, maybe Russ is getting a lot of those possessions. Maybe it goes differently, right? Like bringing in James Harden just gives you another layer of a. It's an example of where redundancy can be a good thing, because then when one of those stars has to miss, it's it, like, hey. Paul George, James Harden, we need you guys to consistently break down the defense, possession after possession after possession. They can do that. That is not asking them to do too much. A lot of times in the league, when you see a star go down, all of a sudden, everyone has to step into a role that they're not qualified for. And then you can start to see a lot of, uh, of downturn. You start to see role players struggle, even at role player things, as they are asked to do more offensively. And that's kind of the upside of adding James Harden to this system. Down the stretch, he's able to break Brandon Podzemski off with a crossover and get the defense in rotation that generates a wide open Norman Powell three. And then the second half of it, and again, like we talk about all the three phases of of offense when it comes to like advantage creation. There's the initial advantage, then there's extending the advantage, and then there's play finishing. The initial advantage is getting the defense into rotation. That can be done by either running pick and roll in a way that's successful enough that you have to bring a third defender over. It could be running a post-up where you bring a second defender over or a double team. It could be a face-up or an ISO where you have guys digging down really hard and you're able to make a swing pass to generate a spot-up opportunity. It doesn't really matter how you do it, but that first step is getting the defense into rotation. What that means is somebody's got to leave their man to guard a different man. And now everybody's running around. Everybody is basically in this like chaos form of defense. And they're, you know, the really good defenses in the league can still have some success defensively in rotation. But even the best defenses in the league are not as good in rotation as they are when they're actually able to stay on an island and stay with their man. And so step one is getting that defense into rotation. Step two is the advantage extension, which is basically getting the ball to the finishing play. That means if you don't have an open three, if you don't have a wide open driving layup, it's your job to extend the advantage by ripping through and getting into the lane and drawing another defender in so that you can maybe get a higher quality spot-up opportunity. But that last piece is arguably the most important one. It's the play finishing piece. you got to have people, whether it's a vertical spacer that can dunk a lob above the rim, whether it's a guy that can... Uh, beat a specific matchup because a team, you know, in rotation ended up with a small guard on a big player and and he has an opportunity to go one-on-one -on -one around the basket or it's an elite shooter, you got to have a guy that can finish that playoff, right? This has been a huge part of what's made the Denver Nuggets so successful over the years. It's not just the Jamal Murray, Nicole Jokic two-man game or their ability as individuals to beat switches in one-on-one -on -one coverages. It's their ability to, when those extra defenders come into the equation, to get the ball to players that can convert those spot-up opportunities at an incredibly high rate. That's what creates the real pick-your-poison 
type of problems that the elite offenses in the league can can cause. Norman Powell is the very best spot-up player in the league this year. Among 48 qualifying players who have had at least 200 spot-up opportunities, he's number one. He's converting them at 1.4 points per possession. That's insane. That's like off the charts good. Michael Porter Jr. was the guy who's basically the best in the league at it last year. He was about 1.3. So he's another level even above that, a 10 10% rough, a little bit uh, a little bit less than 10%. That's a significant that's a significant weapon to have on the weak side. Amir Coffey hits that corner 3 out of the right corner on the uh, Russell Westbrook kickout. He's at 1.23 points per possession in spot-up situations this year. That's really, really good. That's what the Clippers do best. They convert those opportunities. But there's the two phases to it. You've seen it before, saw it against Minnesota, when they don't have good advantage creation games, the spot-up opportunities aren't as high quality and those numbers can take a hit. But if they can get those, if, if they can get guys like Paul George and James Harden to get the defense in rotation, they don't have just guys who can make plays on the weak side. They have absolutely deadly, you cannot afford to leave this guy open type of guys. That's the problem that Denver presents for for teams, and now you're seeing the Clippers do the same thing. I mean, those last two threes that Norman Powell hit, look at the closeout. There was one from uh, Brandon Podziemski in the left corner and one from Draymond Green in the right corner where literally they were flying into the play because they knew. If I don't chase him off the line, he is going to make it. And he had the wherewithal to somehow like pump fake and then like lean forward and, and, and make those shots. It's just, again, that's the that's the the kind of combination. That's the secret sauce there for the Clippers. Elite advantage creators, the total aggregate ball handling on the floor to extend advantages, and then top tier play finishers that can convert those the end of that sequence at an incredibly high rate and a head coach that puts them all in the right positions. And I mean, hell, half the time when Kawhi Leonard's out there and they're all healthy, a lot of those spot-up opportunities are coming to James Harden, to Paul George, to Kawhi himself. And and that's what makes this team so special. And then there was one other key stretch in this game that I wanted to talk about. It was right at the end of the first half. Warriors went up 15, and James Harden led a little mini like 8-0 run that completely changed the dynamic of the game. Had a set-up and and pick-and-roll for Zubac that got him two free throws. He actually blocked Steph Curry on a step-back three, and then he himself hit a step-back three, turned a 15-point game into an eight-point, or into a seven-point game going into halftime, completely changed the dynamic. Made a couple plays early in the third quarter. I think Paul George got an and-one to start the third quarter. Next thing you know, it's it's kind of a dogfight. And I know the Warriors made their run, and like, here's the thing, like, there's a, there's a harsh reality when it comes to winning these types of games. I think a lot of fans, in particular, have a certain expectation, like, hey, we're better. Why don't we just go in there and kick their ass? But that's just not how it works. The Clippers have one of the best records in basketball this year. They basically have been the best team since the 0-6 stretch after the Harden trade. And so they can afford to lose in Golden State tonight, and it's not a big deal. You drop that game, you go home, you're like, hey, we gave them a good fight. You know, we had that little run there at the uh, middle of the game where we kind of made it close. They... They got us at the end of the third quarter, whatever. Like, it, it is what it is, right? Get Kawhi Leonard was out. We live to fight another day. The Warriors needed this game. Like, like they, they are trying to claw out of the 10 seed. And so, like, and you're on the road. So, like, 
it's it's unrealistic to expect a Clippers team to just walk in there and, and, and to just dominate. You have to do what really good teams do in these situations, which is weather runs. Stay in, invested emotionally and physically in the game so that when you see your opportunities, you can take advantage. Kawhi is the force multiplier that makes you a champion. But like that, that level of commitment from the top down, uh, uh, whether it's the perimeter defense, whether it's the 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 uh, Kawhi and or excuse me, Paul George and, and James Harden just staying emotionally invested even when they're down double digits on the road in Golden State, even just the emotion you saw from the coaching staff or from Mason Plumley in this game, like those are the kinds of things that I think are really important benchmarks for championship contenders. Yeah, I I I've, I talked about this when we talked about the Clippers in the past, but like. Generally speaking, in NBA history, these, there are these check marks that you want to see for a team that has a real chance to win a championship. It's like, can they really defend? Yeah, it's a big one. Do they have versatile shot creation? Meaning like they don't rely on one kind of shot creation Like where it, it, if that starts to fail, they fall apart. You want versatile shot creation. You want multiple high-level role players that are good at the little things. They have that too. You want a coach who's great with adjustments and with setting your players up to succeed and can bring the best out of that roster. That's great too. But one of the big check marks is, are they attacking the regular season on a night-in and night-out basis, even on nights where it seems like it's okay to kind of let go of the rope a little bit? And again, like I just I just think that the Clippers keep passing these tests with flying colors. And and it, and it's going to be really interesting to see if they can actually put it all together this year when they get to the postseason. On the Warriors front, you know, one of the biggest driving forces of their recent success has been their defense. And a big part of that has been, like I've been talking about, wave after wave of perimeter athleticism. Whether it's a guy like Brandon Pazemski, who's a pretty good guard defender for a young player, right? Or even all these wing athletes that they have. Guys like Jonathan Kaminga, guys like Andrew Wiggins, guys like Moses Moody. Bringing in Gary Payton into the equation. When you combine that with the ability that Draymond Green has to be a backline anchor for you, you can be an excellent defense. And we've seen that consistently from the Warriors. But in this game, they just completely lost control of the uh, of the point of attack. And they were just constantly in rotation. Just breakdown after breakdown. And it's just, I don't care how hard you're rotating. I saw Brandon Pazemski and, and Draymond Green make just ferocious rotations to try to chase Norman Powell off the line, but they're just too out of position. And they're out of position because they're having breakdowns at the point of attack. And like again, like it's hard to be too critical because that's specifically been a thing they've been good at as of late. But again, like that's that's part of the thing is it's one thing to do it against the lower level competition. You've got to do it against the best teams in the league. And in a big way, the Warriors perimeter defense kind of failed a test today. But like the question is, do you think Andrew Wiggins and Gary Payton and Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody and Brandon Pazemski, do you think these guys are capable of defending well enough on the perimeter to succeed at the highest levels? I think they are. I don't think the Warriors are going to lose this year in the playoffs because of perimeter defense. I think if they do, it'll probably be because offensive creation after Steph Curry. That like drop-off whenever Steph isn't making everything is pretty significant for this team. And I think that will end up, if they end up losing at some point this season, that will be what ends up doing it. And so in a lot of ways, like you kind of just have to, sh- to cross it off as a bad day. Uh, but it certainly is disappointing when you have a test like this. And not only that, 
you build yourself a significant margin and you have an opportunity to put them, put them away with your textbook Warriors third quarter run and, and you can't do it. So definitely a discouraging day. They'll live to fight another day. Um, Obviously the Jazz lost today, so it's not like they're in some sort of troubling position in the standings, but like it's just it's just it's definitely discouraging. But I I don't think perimeter defense is gonna be a big issue for this Warriors team in the long run. And there was there was some encouraging stuff in there as well. Like I I I really do see upside uh in the athleticism that the Warriors have. Like how many threes did Steph Curry hit tonight? that were off of these like chaotic plays where like Andrew Wiggins or or Podziemski or Jonathan Kamingo would get a deflection and all of a sudden the ball would just be rolling around on the floor and guys are diving on the floor and next thing you know Steph has a wide open three and Steph is like the best player in the world at converting chaos into into offensive success he's like he's like he he, he like turns chaos into lemonade or whatever the hell the the, the basketball version of that expression is and like and, and there's a lot of upside there there's a lot of good tonight but you got to close the deal got to play all 48 minutes especially against the best teams in the league and they let go of the rope at the worst possible time and they just could never get, regain control of it after that run to start the fourth quarter we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, errands has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com for more details. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 
Only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. All right, so we're going to hit on two additional games from tonight. We're going to hit Heat Sixers and Lakers Jazz. So Heat Sixers. Uh, I wanted to zoom in on the zone defense. This is a big zone game for the Miami Heat. They ran 37 possessions of zone, holding the Sixers to just 27 points on those possessions, which is 0.73 points per possession. One of the things that Eric Spolcher will do, because they run zone, I believe, I was looking it up earlier tonight, I think they've run it it about 11 times per game on average. And they've leaned into zone a lot more this year. Uh, Miami Heat teams under Eric Spolstra have typically used a lot of zone. It's been a big part of Eric Spolstra's kind of coaching strategy of keeping teams off balance and we're going to talk more about that in a minute, but like one of the things that specific specifically has led the Heat to lean so much into zone this year is personnel. You know, like you, you know, they're playing a lot of guys between guys like Kevin Love and Tyler Harrow and, and Duncan Robinson, guys that that don't necessarily have a, a, a ton of defensive talent, right? And so, put, uh, putting them in a position where they have a more achievable role within a zone scheme, where you're kind of counting a lot on the intellectual side, disrupting the offense, like you can kind of get some good results there and. The, uh, to give you an idea, the Heat have run 625 possessions of zone this year. Only the Jazz have run more, 726. And uh, obviously, uh, uh, the Jazz have a very kind of different team as well in terms of the amount of guards that they play, and they're kind of in a similar predicament with defensive personnel. But to give you an idea, the third most frequent zone team is the Philadelphia 76ers at 340 possessions, which is about half what the heat run and for them similar type of thing they're trying to keep them beat at the rim in their two three and they're dealing with some difficult you know perimeter personnel that they're trying to to get stops with but like especially now with jimmy butler out with terry rogier out hopefully his knee's okay with josh richardson out like most of your perimeter defense talent is unavailable and so leaning into that is it is kind of a necessity and one of the things that spolster will do too and i i learned this firsthand in the lakers game a, a few weeks ago but like when he smells blood in the water like when he goes like oh these guys can't handle this like when he identifies like they don't know how to score against the zone because philly scored just fine against miami's man-to-man defense tonight they were up over uh up over a point per possession in the half court which is you know not a great number for a defense uh but in the half court with their zone base, they did a really good job. And he ran, tw- uh, what is it, 22 possessions of zone in the second half, uh, which is like a, a crazy frequency. And 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 just it held the Sixers to just 42 points in that period. It was like a now Spolsters run a bunch of different types of zone this year. He's run some odd man fronts, he's run some even man fronts, a lot of two three in this particular game. But the way he was doing it, which I thought was interesting, is he was really active out of the corners. So it almost like takes on like a 4-1 type of uh, of look where they're trying to keep Bam at the basket no matter what. And even when the ball would go to the high post, they would keep Bam back in a lot of cases. And if they did rotate to the middle of the floor, they would do it out of the corners, which just kind of allowed them to it helped them rebound because Bam was closer to the basket. And in general, it just kind of disrupted Philly's flow because they didn't really know how to attack it from there with how active they were being out of the corners. Even when they tried to screen the top man of the zone, instead of getting into an open space in the middle, they were running into one of the lower guys. And I thought it was really interesting. And you know, from there, they just made enough shots. Tyler Harrow hit a couple of huge pull-up two-point shots going to his right-hand side. Uh, Duncan Robinson hit a couple of massive threes. I mean, Hakez had this really smart offensive rebound where – he was uh, uh, in the dunker spot on the right side of the floor, 
and Kelly Oubre had his back turned, and he just kind of snuck right around the backside and went on the other side of the rim. He's basically playing the odds there. He's like, well, Kelly will get the ball if it goes to the right, but if it goes to the left, it'll go to me. And the miss came to the left. It fell right into his hands, and he popped it right into the basket. It put him up 103-97. It was a huge play in this game because no one could score the damn basketball. And like in this rock fight game where Philly's struggling to score against the zone, and you know, obviously Miami has some shot creation issues without uh, Terry Rozier and Jimmy Jimmy Butler. It, you know, it's a lot of Tyler Harrow and Duncan Robinson just flying around screens and 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 get getting into the lane, but running into better athletes and having to make kickout passes and like it, like a, a small play like that from Jaime Jaquez ends up being a gigantic. Uh, a swing in the game and it ended up being enough for them to win. But like, I thought it was really interesting because they only ran three possessions of zone against the Bucks, but then they ran 37 against the Sixers. And it's a great example of like, you know, it's a tool that you can use in two different ways. You can use it as a method with which to win individual regular season games based on matchups, which is smart, right? Now, not only do you get 37 reps of practice to get all your guys kind of more, locked in on the details of how to work inside their two three but you also are giving yourself an opportunity to win a regular season game against a tough team uh, like the Sixers especially when they're at home like they got a lot of speed like Buddy Heald and, and, and Tyrese Maxey are flying around shooting shots you know um Paul Reed had a, a had an efficient scoring game in this one like they they have guys they, they have guys they can cause problems for you if, if you're not especially in Philly in a regular season setting. And and it was just a great way to kind of squeeze a, a win out. And then the second piece of it is as a rhythm breaker. And like, you know, the, Eric Spolster is so good at this. He practices the zone. Again, 625 possessions over the course of the season. Like, comf like almost a dozen after tonight. I'm sure it's close to a dozen possessions per game. Those guys are practicing it so much that when they end up in a first round series and it's game one in the middle of the fourth quarter... And it's, you know, 82 to 77 and the Heat are down. He'll go to zone for six possessions and just throw a giant wrench into things, disrupt the rhythm. Maybe he can turn a five-point deficit into a two-point lead. Then he'll switch back to man and his team is more engaged and has momentum and he'll ride that home. And then randomly he'll bring it out out of a timeout and he'll disrupt. And like... That to me is like there's a lot of meat on the bone on the coaching side of things that a lot of coaches around the league don't really tap into. And Eric Spolster is just the very best in the league when it comes to finding all those tiny little advantages that a coach can find in a game through through the tactical side of things to bring the best out of his roster. It was just a, I, I thought it was just a fun, a fun example of that on the Miami Heat side. All right, Lakers Jazz. So uh, Laker offense came out red hot again in this game. They built a pretty significant lead in the first quarter. And then in the second quarter, they just kind of let go of the rope defensively and it turned into this very up and down game. But they're able to stay in the games because they can score the basketball. They had 70 points in the first half uh, of this particular game. And like, you know, we talked about this earlier with the Clippers, this concept of advantage creation, advantage extension and play finishing the Lakers. They those guys for them don't have a ton of defensive talent the way the Clippers do. Like the Clippers are getting that, and Paul George is an excellent wing defender, and Kawhi Leonard is an excellent wing defender, right? Like they have wave after wave of offensive talent that also can play on both ends of the floor. And that's why the Clippers are one of the best teams in the league. And that's why the Lakers are 30 and 26. But like, I did think, you know, that game was uh, really just this recent stretch from the Lakers is an excellent example of just how gifted this team is offensively when they have 
the uh the the type of rhythm and flow in the in the ball movement and player movement that they've had over the course of this last month and like you know uh Rui and Rui Hachimura in particular is one of the big benefit uh, beneficiaries of this tonight he had a career high I think 32 like, I think his previous career high was 30 but like he kept getting small guards on matchups you'd get Keontae George or Jordan Clarkson on a uh, on a post up and the late like the Lakers would break away from their five out stuff to give the ball to Rui they clear the side for him so he's working with an empty block so that he doesn't have to worry about seeing too much of the floor. That's a concept I've talked a lot about with the Celtics and, and, and to, to uh, Rui's credit, he didn't settle. He was making physically aggressive moves towards the basket, using his physical advantages to get easy shots at the rim. And, and, you know, in general, I've talked about this before, but like for the Laker offense in particular, I've been completely blown away by how much, things have turned around for them over the course of the last month or so, because like, like literally early in the season when they would run their five out stuff, they were so, so bad. And then they kind of leaned more into the four out stuff and they kind of, a lot of the same stuff they were running last year, right? Like a lot of heavy LeBron James, Anthony Davis post-up attack, a lot of spread pick and roll for Austin Reeves to get into the middle of the floor and make plays like, and then suddenly out of nowhere, they went back into this like heavy, heavy five out attack here in January. And it's just clicked for whatever reason. And like, I, I'm, I'm sure continuity plays a part in it. I'm sure just like repetition and practice has played a part in it, but like, it's really come around in a big way. I think part of it too, is at the beginning of the season, D'Angelo Russell and, and Austin Reeves in particular just weren't playing well. And now both guys are just playing at a significantly higher level. And like when you're two skill guards that are on the ras- roster for the sole purpose of being skill guards and, and they're not giving you high level offense, like obviously your team is, is, is going to be in a position where they underachieve because all of a sudden the thing you're supposed to be good at, you're bad at, right? And like one of the things I kept saying at the beginning of the season, I'm like, there is shooting on this roster. Like Torian Prince can shoot. Austin Reeves can shoot. D'Angelo Russell can shoot. Rui Hachimura can shoot. These guys can shoot. They're just not playing good offense. And now you're kind of seeing it all come together in a lot of ways. I thought uh, Spencer Dinwiddie's first two games were really, really impressive. Um, I didn't like the way that uh, uh, Darvin used him in some rotation situations today, which we'll talk about in a minute, but the actual basketball fit makes a ton of, uh, a ton of sense right away. At a couple of lobs tonight to Anthony Davis and to Jackson Hayes, he had two self-created threes. He had a jab step three out of the right corner that he hit. And then in the second half, he had a pull up three and pick and roll where he got the defender kind of pinned on his backside and rose up right at the top of the key and knocked it down. You're seeing some of that like higher level athlete shot creation, which is something that like Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell are coverage based shot makers. What that means is like they can hit shots when the coverage dictates it. Like they get a defender pinned on the screen. They're working into the middle of the floor. The team's guarding it two on two instead of three on two. So the big man's in a drop coverage and he's going back towards the rim to worry about Anthony Davis. And here's this opening in the middle of the floor that he can capitalize on, you know, and then like Austin Reeves has some grift in him where he can get some stuff done in ISO just by getting defenders out of position and making plays, but they don't really have like a guy that can like get to his spots on the perimeter and like rise up and knock down shots other than LeBron James. And, and and that's where that's where Spencer Dinwiddie is like a huge addition. And then secondly, he can just beat people off the dribble. Like the Anthony Davis lob in the first half. That was an ISO play where he just kind of powered through his man 
and then got the rim protector to step up, got the, I think it was Laurie Markinen, got the pass over the top, and AD was able to dunk it in. Like, that's an element to the offense that just hasn't really been there. Having a guard that can just beat his man off the dribble to then draw in that help defender to then make a play. And I think in specific situations, that'll be really valuable. Like, We've talked about this a lot. Last year, remember in the Dallas Mavericks game where LeBron hurt his foot, how the Dallas Mavericks were doing a ton of switching. And in the first half, LeBron and AD weren't being super physically aggressive, so it wasn't working. But in the second half, it was like LeBron, AD, post-ups every time down the floor, bullying their way to the rim. Like This gives you another option there. Like Now in the switching scheme, you can use Spencer to help beat switches. Because again, Austin and D'Lo are more... They 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 do better in screening actions. It's kind of similar thing to like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrow. Like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrow, when they can come off of screens and kind of take advantage of the stuff that's baked into the coverage, they're really really good. But then against a switching scheme where it's more important for them to beat people off the bounce, they can struggle a little bit. D'Angelo Russell and uh, and Austin Reeves kind of fall into that same category. And, and Spencer Dinwiddie to me is just a more physically imposing version of that type of guard. Darvin Ham. There's a stretch in this game where I thought the Lakers were going to blow it. Um, they were up big most of the first half. And then in that second quarter stretch, they kind of let go of the rope defensively, but they were at least scoring most of the time down the floor. And one of the things that I talked about in the Spencer Dinwiddie signing video that I did was the idea of the potential of a three-guard lineup. And specifically, Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, in combination to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, it's just a ton of offensive skill. But specifically what makes that work is the Lakers don't really have a great option at the three because Jared Vanderbilt's out, right? Like, Torian Prince is not that good defensively. Like, there will be nights where it makes sense to play him there, but, like, there will be nights where it doesn't, right? Then Rui Hachimura, certain matchups, especially against switching schemes or teams that don't have a ton of perimeter talent on offense where he doesn't have to chase a ton of players over to the top of screens, he could be useful there. But maybe in a different matchup, you want Max Christie there because maybe you're playing against a team and you need someone to chase Steph Curry around all night all night long, right? Like That three-man is, is going to be very matchup dependent. But you can get away with a smaller player there in certain matchups when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the floor. In this particular game, the Lakers started Rui at the four, Torian Prince at the three. And then Darvin, in the late second quarter, right before the half, he tried to go find a reason to get Spencer Dinwiddie on the floor in a three-guard lineup. Now, the obvious solution there is put Spencer in for Torian Prince. You put Spencer in for Torian Prince, you maintain your size on the front line. Rui Hachimura is a huge forward that can help you on the glass, that can help you uh, just in general with your overall physicality, and you have Anthony Davis, right? And against a smaller Jazz team, that can work. And he, I mean, here's the thing. The Jazz are actually bigger than you'd think because they were going massive in the front line with like John Collins, Laurie Markkinen, and Walker Kessler in this game. And in this particular lineup stretch, I think Kessler and Markkinen were both on the floor. But what ended up happening is instead, Darvin goes, no, we're going to take Rui out of the game. And so we're going to play this three-guard lineup with one of the least physically imposing wings in the league in Torian Prince at the four. Now you're just preposterously small. You have no chance. Torian had just finished getting barbecued by Jordan Clarkson in the middle of the second quarter. Now he's in this matchup with Laurie Markkinen where he has absolutely no chance. Laurie gets a quick four points, and all of a sudden it's a one-point game going into halftime. And there was absolutely no case for it. Like, Torian was not having a good game. 
He had this weird play where he uh, was driving along the right side of the floor in transition, and like Spencer Dinwiddie was completely unguarded in the right corner, just like completely unguarded. And instead, he drove through to the left side, ignored Spencer, and turned the ball over. Uh, he, he either turned it over to throw a bad shot, but like basically, no advantage was created. He uh, uh, had several other offensive possessions where he made poor reads. And then on the defense of the end of the floor, he was just not playing well. Like, he wasn't playing well on either end of the floor. There was no case at all whatsoever for Torian to be given that opportunity at the four over Rui, who, by the way, had, like, was literally walking around engulfed in flames. He was red hot in that first half. Career-high scoring night. And in a stretch to end the half, Darvin goes, like, actually, we're going to go with Torian at the four when there's no reason. He hasn't been playing well enough to deserve that opportunity. Makes no sense from the standpoint of lineup construction. You have Laurie Markinen and Walker Kessler on the floor, so you're way too small in the front line. It was one of the most confounding lineup decisions that I've ever seen. And at one point in the second half, the Lakers were up by, like, 12, and Torian Prince was a minus six. And, like, one of the reasons why it concerns me is like Darwin is, and this has been something we talked about all season. Darwin very clearly is attached to Torian Prince. Not the most unheard of thing in the world. Every coach has like a specific player that they're uh, that they're very invested in. I had Warriors fans telling me on Twitter today, like it reminded them of Anthony Lamb with the Warriors last year, where Steve Kerr would just play him all the time, and like so, it's not entirely unheard of. But the problem is in this particular situation is Torian's consistently playing over way better players. And when that happens, you're cutting into your margin. And this is not a team that has a significant margin for error. One of the things they talk about all the time is like playoff series swing on tiny sequences. That like even a five-game sw- uh, gentleman sweep or a six-game series can can actually kind of come down to a handful of tiny sequences where games swing one way or another and the entire dynamic of the series changes. That type of mistake made against a good team could cost you a series. Or rather, it could cost you a game, which could in turn cost you a series. And like one of the things that I talked about a lot around the trade deadline is like, I don't know, even if the Lakers were to make a deal, if if Darvin wouldn't just play Torian Prince anyway. He started him more than twice as many times this year as he did in the previous as other teams did in the previous three years combined. It's very clear this is an outlier type of relationship that we're seeing from these particular two. And like, one, of the, do you guys remember when I did that rant? Um, God, I can't even remember which team. I think it was with the Kings. Might have been this morning. But I was talking about like falling back on habits. Like you have these, like your, your deeper elements of your character are what shine through when the shit hits the fan. It's a big part of why I talk about habits and discipline in the regular season. Because in my opinion... If you're a team where your habit is to play defense a certain way, to communicate, to make extra efforts, to play with physical force, when that is your habit, then all of a sudden, when it's game three of a 1-1 series, and it's all of a sudden your team gets punched in the mouth by a run, and you're down by seven in the early fourth quarter, when the shit hits the fan, you guys will look around at each other, and you'll defend, and you'll lean on those habits. That's why I think that stuff matters so much. Those things are what carry you when you get into the precarious situations down the line. What scares me for the Lakers is Darvin, his default. When he doesn't know what to do, he goes to Torian. And Torian is not one of the Lakers' five best players. And so that will, in some situations on the matchups, it'll work. But in a lot of situations, it won't. 
and, and it could cut it cut it could cut into the margin for error for a Lakers team that is already super thin. Last note on the Lakers, they've got to find a way to connect this offensive success they're having with the defensive potential we know they need to have. As good as this Laker offense has been, it's not as good as the Denver Nuggets were last year. And if you're not going to be as good as the Denver Nuggets were last year, by the way, for all the talk about the Denver Nuggets defense, they defended pretty damn well when they got into the postseason, and they've been an even better defense this year than they were last year in the regular season. But like the Lakers don't even have as much margin for error, don't even have close to as much margin for error on defense as the Nuggets have. They have to be a good defense in addition to being a good offense. And so post All-Star break, really, really going to be zeroing in on the defensive end of the floor for the Lakers to see if they can make the necessary strides there before they get to the postseason. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, errands has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com for more details. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. All right, before we get out of here. So we, uh, I think it was Ramona Shelburne for ESPN reported this morning with Adrian Morzanowski that uh, basically the Warriors had some pretty high-level conversations to the point where the owners were involved about potentially trading LeBron James to the Golden State Warriors. 
apparently Jeannie Buss forwarded the Warriors to Rich Paul, LeBron's agent. And apparently uh, LeBron and his team were like, no. And so it ended up not happening. But I wanted to kind of dive into it a little bit because obviously I, I think that LeBron is going to stay with the Lakers. But there is some small chance this summer. We don't know what, but there is some small chance this summer, whether it's through free agency opting out, you know, signing for a mid-level exception somewhere, or it's a, tr- a trade, or, or who knows what the dynamic will be. But there's some small amount of chance that LeBron, if things go really south this year for the Lakers, that he could decide to, that he wants to play elsewhere. And the Warriors are on the list of teams that would be considered there. There are other teams on that list as well, some other teams that might even be more realistic. But the Warriors are on that list. And so I wanted to kind of dive into the concept for just a minute because I saw a lot of people kind of talking about it online today. And like, to me, this is not something that needs to be overthought. The basketball fit is very simple. You are taking Steph Curry, who is probably like the only player in the league that will consistently draw a blitz and pick and roll. Like, like he gets two to the basketball every single time. Even down the stretch against the Clippers tonight, Draymond Green ball screens, he's rolling off to the weak side. Both Clippers are running with Steph. You are combining a player that consistently draws multiple defenders away from the basket with LeBron James, who in my opinion, even at this age, is the best combination of downhill force and playmaking that we have in the league. There are other great playmakers in the league. Nikola Jokic is is the best, in my opinion. Luka Doncic, incredible, right? Trey Young, incredible. None of those guys bring like actual straight line downhill force the way that LeBron does. And so when I envision like an offense centered around LeBron James, Steph Curry ball screens, it is frightening to me. You can't switch it because anybody who's strong enough to stay with LeBron has no help and no no hope in hell of staying in front of Steph Curry off the dribble. Anybody who's fast enough to stay in front of Steph Curry off the dribble has no hope in hell of staying in front of LeBron James posting them up on the weak side. You know, like if they kick it back around and he posts up, right? Like if you trap Steph Curry, LeBron James is going to be the best short roll player that Steph has ever played with. And then if you run a traditional coverage, Steph is going to pick you apart with pull-up shooting. Like, I can't imagine a more devastating two-man game than Steph Curry and LeBron James, except for maybe Steph Curry and Nikola Jokic, which literally is just because LeBron's old. But, like, I don't think we need to galaxy brain ourselves around what the obvious basketball fit is, which is nearly perfect. Like, the only rub you could put on the basketball fit is LeBron is old. That's it. And here's the reality. Even at LeBron's old age, he is still firmly playing at an all-NBA level. Like, we don't need to overthink that side of it. The second piece of it to me, you would be combining the two greatest competitors of this era. I've, I've talked about this before on the show, but I think there's a big difference between loving basketball and hating losing. And specifically hating losing I think pushes a human being to to make extra efforts when they're completely and utterly exhausted that other people aren't willing to make. A love of basketball might get you in the gym a lot, might have you working on your game, might make a very polished and, and skilled basketball player. But a hatred of losing makes the type of savage competitor that is impossible to beat. 
when you get into these situations. And like, to me, you're taking not just the two greatest competitors of this era, but basically the the two most successful basketball players of this era, and you're putting them together. Of course, I'd love to see it. It'd be so much fun. And if you're a basketball fan and you're not like, yeah, LeBron James and Steph Curry playing together, that would be fun. I, I can't relate to you. Like, and, and even if there's some unrealistic element to it, like it's uh, like it's really that simple to me. The basketball fit is easy, and you're combining the two greatest competitors of this era. I have a hard time believing that it wouldn't work out for a positive basketball result, even with LeBron's old age, even if we can agree that it's unlikely at this point. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. Like I said, tomorrow morning, we're going to hit King's Nuggets in a mailbag. Make sure you guys get some mailbag uh, questions into the YouTube comments. I will see you guys in the morning. Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed, and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's Wee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.